Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2053. Today we'll be talking about racing to the clouds. That's right, Pike's Peak. You better buckle up. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Westchester, Pennsylvania, with a very special guest by the name of David Donahue. You'll know that name. David, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Good to have you here. Releasing the clutch is something you've done just a few times in your career. And I'm going to give you a proper introduction in a moment here. We're going to talk about this this new adventure you're going to be taking part of. But before I do that, what's one little thing? And I like asking this to people who've been out in the public eye that most people don't know about you, David. See, I've tripped you up right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, well, I, I played ice hockey from when I was five years old through college. Really? Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Ice hockey. So was that because of where you lived or was this something you were just super interested in or? Five years old. I don't know that you're really super interested in anything. <laughs> yeah. My mom just wanted to get rid of me, but it's kind of <laughs> ironic. She wouldn't let me play football, but I was playing you know, full contact ice hockey back then. It was, it was wasn't limits back then yeah. when I was yeah. doing it. I mean, it was before face masks and all that stuff. So, Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm dating myself. But, yeah, and my, my uh, wife would always laugh that everything I really like to do requires a helmet. <laughs> well, that makes sense. And did you keep all your teeth during all that time? Yeah, I did, um, surprisingly enough. Yeah, yeah, sounds like fun. My son wanted to play football, and my wife did not like that idea. So she said, how about soccer or running track or something like that? I don't like the Soccer's idea. Dangerous. Soccer's the dangerous sport. Yeah, it can be very contact-oriented. I raced for decades and never ended up breaking a bone or getting a concussion or anything like that. My wife played soccer. She broke her arms. She got concussion. She herniated discs in her back. And I'm telling you, soccer's the dangerous sport. Yes. Yeah. You can get hurt playing soccer. Well, ice hockey, that is very interesting. That's why I like to ask that question. Well, let me give you a proper introduction. We're going to dive into this new uh, little driving adventure you're involved in. David Donahue is a champion, a racing driver. Of course he is. And a long and impressive resume uh, is to his uh, record. His driving include touring cars, prototypes, NASCAR stock car, and Craftsman truck series. David was an integral part of the famous Brumos racing family, driving a Brumos racing Daytona prototype in every Rolex sports car race series from 2003 through 2010 and in 2009 he co-drove to victory in the rolex 24 at daytona the brumos collection announced that the iconic brumos livery will return to the professional competition for the 100th running of the pikes peak international hill climb on june 6th of this year this race to the clouds will be driven by david at the wheel of a porsche gt2 rs club sport prepared in the famous brumos red white and blue livery this event is the first competition for brumos since 2013 when it retired 50 years of competing on the track. We'll be back in just a minute to learn about what is in David's future here on that little mountain. But first, a word from our sponsors. So give them a little listen and we'll be right back. 
Covercraft's newest five-layer indoor cover is especially engineered for indoor use, providing maximum dust protection when your vehicle's stored in the garage. Your five-layer indoor cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form, and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Even if your vehicle is always inside, dust and fallout can damage the paint, and an extra layer of soft, Breathable material protects from accidental bumps and rubs. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected with a Covercraft cover, custom fit to fit the car like a glove. And I have a deal for you. If you use the code YEAH21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your order plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Simply use the code YEAH, Y-E-A-H-2-1 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I was tired of my rates for my collector car insurance going up every year for no explainable reason. My carrier seemed to be turning into a media company versus an insurance company, and I realized that a portion of my policy premium was paying for all those so-called free media goodies. So I did my homework, I talked to knowledgeable collectors, shopped around, and discovered American Collectors Insurance. They've been serving the collector car hobby since 1976. You last that long by properly serving your customers' insurance need, not with a lot of fluff. ACI is ranked the number one online collector car insurance provider, according to Google, Trustpilot, Facebook, and they offer their real person guarantee live support. No never-ending phone loops when you need help. Plus, because you don't use your classic car as a daily driver, you could save up to 40% compared to regular auto insurance. American Collectors Insurance provides agreed value policies. So if you experience a total loss to your collector vehicle or it's stolen, you'll be paid the amount listed on your declaration page, less any deductibles, of course. No ifs, ands, or buts. Give them a call today and ask for your free quote at 866-A-C-I-Y-E-A-H. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Greens, at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. So, David, uh, this is an interesting thing that Brumos is doing. And, of course, they chose you to be at the seat. In our little pre-show chat, we were talking a little bit about uh, a little added pressure, not only coming back and running this event, but running it under the Brumos livery. How did this all come about? Uh, It's kind of funny the way it came about. It was really the other way around. I had an entry into the – or accepted invitation into the race and – I'd done it every year since 2017 when Porsche Colorado Springs invited me to do it. And I said yes before I even knew what I was saying yes to. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Pikes Peak is pretty iconic in the motorsport world. The Unzers have a great history there. I mean, there's all kinds of, of people. It's the second oldest uh, race in the country. I really didn't know what I was getting into. And then I saw a video and I thought to myself, what? Um, Hmm. This maybe maybe I actually bit off more than I could chew this time <laughs> because uh, it's 156 turns. Uh, it's 12 and a half miles. It's sort of similar to the Nurburgring in that regard, uh, except it's a two lane road. Um, there's really no runoff. Much of the course is above the tree line. The uh, start line is at 9,500 feet, 
the finish line's at 14,100 feet. So yeah. there's not much oxygen and so forth up there. But anyway, I to make a long story, long story semi short. I fell in love with the, with the event. Uh, it's really grassroots. Um, there's a lot of camaraderie between the competitors. You, you race the mountain uh, even more than you race each other. And it's a real kind of fraternity when you get up there at the summit at the end of the race. And I just love keep going back. It's it's not like sports car racing today where it's really managed in the tower. The, the, the rules are one page. You know, it's kind of it allows a lot of interpretation, a lot of uh, creativity. So uh, when I got the invitation again or my, uh, my entry was accepted, I thought I had a deal semi put together and uh, it started unraveling shall we say? Okay. I was trying to pull some pieces together and I asked Dan Davis at Brumos at the collection, uh, but had been in touch with him because some of my colleagues, uh, I work for Audrain Motorsport now in, in Newport, Rhode Island, and some of my colleagues stopped by to visit. And so I'd been in touch with uh, Dan at the uh, Brumos collection uh, for, for that reason, for my colleagues to visit the collection. And um, I ended up calling him up and saying, hey, did you want to play any kind of a role in this? As I try to put it together, it's it may not happen because you know, I might have to withdraw. But if it does happen, it'd be kind of neat, so on and so forth. And the rest is history. He uh, he made a pretty big commitment, and here we are. We're we're going as a, a Brumos car. It's so exciting to me, and I've had a lot of people on this show who've raced that event in all different levels of skill and capacity, and I mean, from Bruce Canapa, Jeff Zwart, and and many others, of course, Haley, Hurley Haywood has been a guest here, and he has a long relationship with Brumos. Brandon Starks, the executive director of the collection, was a guest of mine. Ray Schaefer, who worked for Brumos for years that you probably know, so there's all these people in this family, so it must be a bit like a, a family reunion when you go and participate in an event like this. You said a lot of camaraderie at the top of the hill yeah when you have brumos on your back it's um it's a whole another level of personal pride and not just what the brand stands for but uh the character of the people involved i personally don't ever want to let any of them down and it goes beyond you know just a kind of a superficial commitment to do something it's it's really a commitment from the heart to try to make them proud bob snodgrass the former spiritual leader of Brumos back when uh, we were doing the DP days. And he and Dan, when they gave gave you their word, it was better than any piece of paper that you could ever get. Um, you really didn't need any contract or anything. They, when they said something, they did it. And, you know, I, they were always there for me since I first met them back in the early 90s. And uh, you know, I just want to make sure that I never let them down because I would feel worse than, than anything. The car you're going to be driving, a GT2 RS Club Sport, of course, Porsche uh, livery, of course, tied to Brumos. What is that car? Have you driven those cars? What's that like for you? What do you anticipate when you strap yourself into that thing? Well, yeah, it's, it's a bit of an interesting story because the first time I took a GT2 RS Club Sport up the mountain, uh, it was a Porsche of the main line car, Porsche of the main lines here in the Philadelphia area. And I kind of maybe talked a little bit too much smack about the mountain and what we could do there. <laughs> and before I knew it, they had bought the car and say, all right, we're, we're doing Pike's peak. And I'm like, you know, there's a lot more to it than just having the car. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I uh, panicked a little bit and that's really when I came together with BBI as well. BBI Autosport in uh, Newport beach, California or Huntington beach, California, the LA area, they uh, they have uh, had some success up in uh, on the mountain in the past, and their program had fallen through, and they became really my technical partner. 
and the, the setup of the car. And then it's sort of a really a, a Porsche family gathering because we have Porsche of the main line and, and our home base when we're out there is Porsche Colorado Springs with Joe Brenner and, and company. And they provide a lot of the infrastructure for us to work from and really kind of help that whole family effort. So we went out there and practiced and the car was really, um, should I say, a little bit dicey. <laughs> I'm kind <laughs> of wondering what, what I committed to. And the Tim Berisha and Jeremy Smallwood of BBI Autosport spent about 12 hours on the car just corner waiting it and um, doing, their, doing their thing that race teams do. And I went up following day and went in the same section i went 10 seconds a lot fat or 10 seconds a section faster 10 seconds yeah it was huge Whoa. um and it, and it was fun to drive it was like i could attack it and that's where you know their intellectual knowledge comes into play and you can't put a price tag on that i was i was so grateful and you know i made the two porsche dealerships look great and and uh, we were we were looking really good. And then last year we went back again. The car was sponsored by Audrain Motorsport, which is the company I work for now. And we had uh, modified the car quite a bit from an aerodynamic standpoint. Uh, and one of the one of the main parts of the car failed. The the front splitter failed, which was in in testing on the mountain. Thank God. Um, <laughs> and it because we were behind in the assembly of the car. It failed race week, and you just can't rush Mother Nature. You, you you can't make a carbon part faster than you know parts cure and and can get laid up and so forth. So we really didn't get any practice in, and and uh, it was a bit of a a mess. We didn't get to qualify very well, and uh, you know we ended up third in class, but didn't really show our potential. Um, so this year we're going back. It's the same kind of car, a different VIN, if you will. Uh, it's a new car, and we're going to basically put it together the way we did the last year's car, but albeit with a uh, new front splitter that is more robust, and um, see what we can do. It sounds really exciting. I, I'd love for you to share with our listeners today a bit about this process of running on this mountain, because for people that aren't aware, Pikes Peak is one of those things that you get a couple shots at, that's kind of it. It's not like a normal race where you go out and practice and there's lap after lap after lap. It's it's a run and you're done. So what's the process? How much practice time do you get? Now you've done it many times, so that adds incredible uh, value to the experience. And then how does the run work? And then you're done. So kind of walk us through the process. Yeah, it is. I liken it to a single lap qualifier in the rain the morning you show up at the track mm. thing <laughs> from a regular course perspective so you never run the whole mountain as one unit if you will until the race so you, you run it in sections so you're on the bottom section the middle and the top section and they, they split everyone up into groups and you practice in those sections and how much practice you get is completely dependent on the day, whether it's raining or snowing or someone blows blows up and oils down the track. Or sometimes you can get up to five runs in a section, sometimes one, some maybe even none if it's all fogged in. The mountain, because it's at such a high altitude, it's its own microclimate, or macroclimate almost because it's so darn big. You can have 80 degrees at the bottom and it'd be snowing at the top. And you have everything in between the two points. So you, you really never know what you're going to get. And when we practice, we practice from uh, daybreak, which is usually around 5.15 to 5.30 in the morning to 8.30 in the morning. 
uh, and then the mountain opens up to the public. So we're going through the gates. If you're practicing the top section, for example, it takes darn near an hour to get there from the gates. So you're going through the gates at three, four o'clock in the morning. Wow. Just so you can get up there. And it's, you know, every year we're waking up at two or three in the morning, really miserable and wondering why we keep signing up for it. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that's sort of a common theme with racers in one discipline or another. Yes. <laughs> um, uh-huh. The air is so thin. A good example of the air being thin was in 2018, I ran a normally aspirated GT3R uh, Porsche 911 race car, and it has two throttle bodies that work together. And the second throttle body doesn't open until about 3,000 RPM or so. And uh, when you try to start it, um, first we had to send the ECU back to Porsche uh, Motorsport uh, for them to reprogram it so it would start because there's not enough oxygen for it to realize that it's trying to start. And then once uh, once it started, it wouldn't get off idle, oh. because uh, there wasn't enough oxygen for it to get the RPM high enough to open the second throttle body to allow it to get going. So, oh. I mean, it's it's really a, a different scenario. There's Things don't cool very well because of the air is so thin, so you have to have cars that who aren't prepared. They're overheating. Uh, brakes can overheat. Uh, turbos, you'd think turbo would be the great equalizer, but the turbos spin faster, so you can overspin the turbo and it disintegrates. Um, there are all kinds of new sets of problems that you face on the mountain that someone who's not familiar with it, um, they can get really caught off guard because you get there and the problems are, are solvable, but maybe not in a week. Yeah, the time frame. Yeah, what do you what do you do when you show up a car that actually can't run? Uh, it's really, it can be disappointing at times. I can't, yeah, I can't even imagine. And the, the cool thing about this event is there's so many different kinds of participants, different kind of vehicles. I mean, it's a really a, a fascinating concept. You mentioned that you work at Audrain now. Of course, I know Donald Osborne. I've known him for, I don't know, 20 years now. I actually met him at Retromobile in Paris long, long ago. And uh, he was standing in front of a car at an auction and we started talking and that was kind of the beginning. And now he's he's become a friend. I've been on the show a bunch of times. But what are you doing there? I know your title is Senior Vice President of Men experience in sales. What's your involvement there at Audrain? Well, we have a, a, a membership program and it's really, it stems from the spirit of the museum itself, which its mission is to you know, preserve and promote uh, the automotive experience and, and collection and so forth. And we want people to, we want to provide opportunities for people to experience their cars and, and promote the camaraderie of the, of the, um, for motorheads basically so we'll do road tours we'll go to we go to indianapolis with a small group of people to uh watch the race from the mclaren suite uh we have a road tour in uh nashville later uh in the uh, in the year in november some of the routes picked out by john oates and a couple you know collection visits and so forth uh, throughout the four or five day experience. Frankly, right now, most of our team is at uh, the Goodwood members meeting because we're a presenting sponsor of the Goodwood members meeting. And um, we're entertaining some people over there as well with the, in the Jackie Stewart Pavilion. And um, they're going to go to uh, Blenheim Palace. They're going to tour McLaren. They're going to get a track day on the um, Goodwood circuit. So it's really, it's a, it's, it's really a high end ish um, way for people to, enjoy their hobby we have in in the newport rhode island area there's a a lot more events there's cars and coffee every other sunday uh, for the most part sometimes it's a saturday depending on on the weekend and we have 
um, lots of facilities and so forth in the Newport area. So just a lot to do. Our calendar is, I don't know, it's like 60 events long. It's, it's a lot of little things and a lot of big things. We have a lot of what we call motorsport meetups where we have the Formula One race on and a little car show in the back and a simulator going in the clubhouse. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's, it's just a way for people to gather and enjoy the hobby and enjoy each other's company. It sounds like a tough job. Yeah, yeah. And we provide consulting. You know, we we have some customer, some members that have made some pretty um, maybe poor purchases, and trying to con- consult them to you know maybe turn that purchase around to something that's worthwhile, or even advise people on what to get or what not to get. We have because we're associated with the museum, the network of contacts is is pretty broad. Um, you know, just just Donald Osborne has a pretty broad. Rolodex, if you will, of contacts to find out about certain things. It's all the above what we try to provide for people. I'll bet. No, it's, it sounds wonderful. And of course, my regular listeners know Linkage is a sponsor here, which is the magazine through Audrain and all the different involvements. So uh, they're doing a lot of stuff. It's pretty cool. And since Donald jumped on board there, uh, it seems like a lot more. And when you follow him on Facebook, the guy's always in a different place doing something fun with cars. So I think he's the envy of a lot of people with all the car fun he's having. We're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors again. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about a challenge. Of course, running up a, a mountain that's 14,000 plus feet, that's a challenge. So keep that in mind. Keep the seatbelt cinched tight and we'll be right back. Auto Geek's Blackfire SiO2 Spray Sealant. It's a spray-on, wipe-off sealant that's quick, safe, and easy to clean and protect your vehicles. I love using it on all my cars. AutoGeek's Blackfire SiO2 Spray Sealant is a spray-on, wipe-away sealant that uses SiO2 ingredients to provide a slick, brilliant, and long-lasting shine. Silicon dioxide is known to be one of the most effective ingredients in car care products, and Blackfire Spray Sealant takes advantage of every stunning feature it has to offer. This sealant will protect your paint from road film, dirt, and other common contaminants while providing an impeccable, long-lasting, hydrophobic surface that forces water to sheet and bead on your paint for months. Go to autogeek.net to get yours and for the best product selections on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. autogeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. Check them out today. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual informed, reasoned opinion based on firsthand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. 
So, David, let's talk about this uh, big challenge question. I asked all my guests this question, and boy, being a race car driver, if, if that isn't a challenging career, ups and downs, you win one weekend, you lose the next. But I'd love for you to maybe talk about one big challenge that you faced that was a really valuable learning lesson when you look back on it and you got through that whole experience because you know what if you're not pushing to fail then you're not learning so walk us through maybe a a rough ride if you would uh that's that's pretty easy for me actually i um after after racing i thought i was gonna um I, i did a couple of different things between working for pcna and and my driving career I had tried to put together a driving school at one point. I spent a fortune with consultants and and uh, and planning, and it, that didn't materialize. I couldn't make the business model work. I tried to do my own race program, and and it was really it's stereotypical is not the right word, but it 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 went along the way that most many race programs in their infancy uh, go, where we we had the plan, we knew what car we were going to get, we knew what team we were going to use, we we had all the ingredients in place, and a benefactor that was ready to fund it until it came time to sign on the dotted dotted line, and then you know we go to us, <laughs> oh. disappear. So, ouch! But you hear that all the time in motorsport. But I would say yeah. the the biggest real challenge was when I was working for uh, Porsche Cars North America on the 918 Spider project, and I was the uh, customer relationship manager, and uh, the car wasn't selling at the time. Of course, it ended up being a huge success. Thank goodness the car was really good, so it, it became a success because of its own merit. But the pressure of having that whole company and and what what they had put into that program and and me being a large part responsible for its success, it was a lot of all nighters. Uh, it was. 40, I think I did 42 days straight on the road. At the times I came home during those 42 days, I would rent a car at the Philly airport, drive home, do some laundry, get a night's sleep, and drive back to the airport the next morning in the, in the rental car because I was just gone all the time. Yeah. My boss at the time, Mike Ramsey, he allowed me to take the cars and, of course, um, the, the senior management um the executive director, executive management of uh, Porsche, let me take cars all over the country to get people in them. And in America, that's what sells them. Uh, if, if you had a qualified that car, the 918 Spider, if if someone was qualified to buy one and they drove one, they had no reason to say no. It, it was that good, and it was just me dry, flying around the country. Now I had four cars. I was um, I was the the. I was the thorn in, in Aisha Coker's side because now she's uh, vice president of marketing, but she was on the event side back then. And, and I was cutting it really close all the time with events and cars showing up. And she always liked to, to, to plan ahead to make sure that the event went off without a hitch. And, and I'd be showing up like the day before with a car, but she wants that she wants it there a week before. Of course. <laughs> make sure yeah. everything is right. Yeah. I, I drove her nuts, but, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it was, it, it ended up being successful. Thank goodness the car worked. And, and, uh, it, I think it showed a lot that it was just me and the car, no tech, no techs or anything, uh, showing up at someone's house or at a dealership with this million dollar car and letting people drive it and, and driving it away. 918 was a very interesting car. And when you look at Porsche over the years, they do this. I think of the 959 as another example of a car they come out with that is so advanced, so unique, so different. And 
I'm a Porsche guy. I've been had many 911s. Love Porsche. Been a fan of the mark since I was a little kid. And whenever they make a big change like that, you kind of stop and go. It's like the 928 even when it came out. It's like, what are you doing? And is that what the 918, is that what caused that with that car? Because I look back now and I go, wow, when that thing came out, pretty, pretty uh, out there. Hybrid type vehicle. I mean, very exotic looking, very different than your normal Porsche, you know, 911, even race car. Is that what caused that at the time? Because now everyone wants one. Yeah. When they released the concept, people said, yeah, right. You know, (laughs) 900 almost 900 horsepower and 60 plus miles to the gallon there's no way it was really born from the cafe regulations that were put in place for manufacturer fleets in in europe and the uh, environmental restrictions that were going to be put on the fleet as a whole that put that put um what we had thought of as a sports car back then in jeopardy Right, it's like everyone's going to be driving a Prius, and, uh, right. and the, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is going to be neutered because there's no enthusiasm behind something like that. And here they make a car that you know emits cleaner than a Prius, um, yet can outperform you know anything in a day. A lot of resources were put towards it that benefited the rest of the product line in the, in terms of the the transmission and the, the steering systems and of course what came on later with the the, the brake controller and and um, hybrid logic and so forth so a lot came from that car that that trickled into the rest of the product line for years to come and um, you know the proof is in the pudding they've been if you think about where Porsche was at the time, and the demand of like the GT3s and so forth, there was demand for it, but it wasn't at all like it is today. No. Uh, because we had a program where if you purchased, the, if you ordered the 918 as new, you became part of a, a so-called VIP program where you were eligible to buy any regular production car one, one a year that was provided to your dealer on as an on-top allocation. So the dealers, it was really an incentive for the dealers to push the car because they were going to get all these extra cars. And then you had right or first refusal on any special production car, like GT cars or any limited production cars. And, um, you know, we look back at that now as, as um, they didn't, they shouldn't have done that. They didn't need to do that, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but back then there wasn't this huge demand. And, and the 918 wasn't selling. And it was a big risk for a dealer to sell a 918 because they were selling a million-dollar car, but they, the dealer was committing to it. So if the customer backed out, the dealer still had to buy it. Got stuck with it, yeah. Yeah, so now we look at it, and they're making such good product um, across the board. You know, it, it, it's like anyone who bought one was a genius. <laughs> <laughs> well, hindsight is wonderful. If only we'd invested in Tesla when it first came out or Amazon yeah. or Apple or Microsoft, any of those things, right? I mean, crystal but, balls. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the thing was, it, it was the hardest work I'd ever done um, mm. and and a lot of stress. I mean, if someone says a race car driver has it tough, they're, they don't know what they're talking about. Driving <laughs> a race car was fun. It was a great lifestyle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was reasonably good at it. So, I mean, I had to try, but uh, the hardest thing about being a race driver is finding a job, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. actually doing it, I wouldn't call that hard relative to what other people in the workforce have to do. Amazing, amazing insider view of a, a car that now, of course, those things are trading for a fortune. But of course, the car market today is on fire and crazy and nuts. And especially the Porsche market, it's just 
mind-boggling to me. You know, let's talk about a special car. Obviously, the 918 is a pretty special car, but I asked all my guests this question. One very special car in your life that really stands out. Now, you've been in many cool race cars. You've probably owned a lot of very cool cars, but maybe today, if there's just one that comes to mind, and maybe share a story about that ride. Well, for, I, maybe I'm in a different position than some of your guests because there's race cars and road cars. Right. I mean, if I won the lottery and was allowed to have a race car, it would be an RS Spider Porsche. Yeah. I drove one uh, that was Kevin Jeanette all painted up in um, the 917-30 livery for um, the historic years ago. And it was the nicest car I've ever driven nicest race car i've ever even even though it had problems it it wasn't shifting right and it you know it it had all kinds of weird issues because it had never run before but um that really stands out as if if i could have a race car that would be the one yeah road car is harder because you know you want to put a dog in it um, <laughs> well I don't, you know it's you know the, the way i kind of think about this you know think about the obviously the, the rs spider i think they debuted that car at laguna seca back in 05 yeah and yeah watching that thing go around the track it's just beautiful beautiful car but this question's really more about either a car you drove in a race that really stood out or a car you've owned that you really in, enjoyed i have to i really enjoy i have a tycon right now oh okay and I really like it. Really? Okay. Well, this is interesting because there's another car. You talk about a spider kind of being an outlier and people raising an eyebrow. Uh, Taycan's another one that, you know, and, and of course, when Porsche came out with their SUVs, everybody thought that was the end, but it saved them. And they're great cars, wonderful cars. Why? The, what do you like about that car, the Taycan? Um, the, the power's always there, right? It's, it's, it's on demand. You know, it, there's no lag. It looks great. With Aldrain, we presented probably $7 million worth of cars in like four or five cars in front of a hotel in Newport last summer. And I pulled up to talk to the guy that was overseeing them for a moment. And there were more people taking pictures of my Taycan <laughs> than the other car. Ouch, everybody standing and go, who's this guy that, you know, put a turd in the punch bowl? <laughs> um, um, you know, the, 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 the range... Anxiety. I, I have been taking it back and forth from the Philadelphia area up to Newport, and I have to stop for 15 minutes or so. That's it's a bit of a pain, but I'm an introvert, believe it or not. Really? Um, okay. I when you drive something like a GT3 around, and and you want to have fun, everyone knows it. Right. Right. You you don't, you don't have fun in a GT3 under the radar. No. I, I had I had an M5, the v, V10 M5. And, oh. and that was the same thing. I really love that car. Oh, yeah. Rocket ship. It was the same thing. It it was all top end. So if you wanted to have fun, everybody knew it. The Taycan, you can have a lot of fun just flying under the radar. <laughs> they're you know, they're really pretty cars. And uh, when they, uh, the Porsche Club here, I got to speak at our local Porsche Club event a few, well, before COVID. And um, they brought one. There was, I guess it was the first customer up here had one and brought one so we could all take a look at it. Fortunately, it was at night, so it was dark. But yeah, interesting cars. And of course, you know, you see what's happening now with EVs and Porsche talking about turning the, uh, the Cayman and Boxsters into all EV in a few years and everything kind of going that way. It's such a odd time in the automotive sector but yeah it is yeah it is. if i had my if i had my choice for a collector car uh it would easily be a 491 g-body 
So like a turbo F four ninety one Speedster. So oh, a turbo cool. look G body nine eleven, like an eighty nine nine eleven Speedster mm-hmm. with a wide mm-hmm. body. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be a wide body because uh, did you ever know Bob Carlson? I knew of him. I wasn't a friend of his, but I knew, of course, yeah, the name, yeah. So when in 93, uh, when the 917, my dad's 917-30 came over to the Historics in Monterey, uh, Bob let me drive that car and um, just for a couple kind of demo laps. But on the weekend, he gave my wife and I a 93 Speedster to drive around the area. Mm. And it, I mean, my wife will still say that was one of the greatest weekends uh, ever uh, yeah. it was pre kids and it was it was just fun to have that kind of a car and be treated the way that they treat us like we were you know really special people and uh, had waterfront room and this beautiful car so for a collector <laughs> car that you know like an 89 speedster or early 90 speedster g body speedster would be pretty special yeah, yeah for sure yeah. i've got an 87 turbo i've had for about 12, ah. 12 years and uh keep it <laughs> don't let it go <laughs> well it's uh you know it's it's become a bit of a albatross in a way because uh, mine is a very rare car my listeners know it as the orange crush i call it my orange crush it was one of only three cars painted a very special color paint to sample program a dealer in ohio ordered it and he wanted to have it painted in a metallic pearl orange and Porsche wouldn't do it and they said we'll do it if you order three cars and that's what he did one's a slant nose and then the other two are well the sister car to my car they're regular bodied cars and it's a I'll I'll send you an email picture of it it's it's a stunning color it's just a crazy wild color but there's only three of them I used to know where the other two were but they've disappeared uh, probably in collector's garages somewhere but the problem is as you know with these cars they become so valuable that you are kind of afraid to drive it or leave it parked anywhere. And you, of course, you pull this car up next to a new Porsche and it looks like a toy because it's tiny. So all these people in these giant SUVs will run right over to you. So I, I'm, in, I'm in a conundrum right now, quite honestly, you know, looking at prices, thinking, you know, I'd, I haven't had a newer Porsche since my, my last newer Porsche was a 993. I had a C4S. It was my daily driver. Wonderful car. Uh, I picked one up at the factory in 96, uh, 993. And, uh, that was a great car. Drove it all over Europe for three weeks. So I kind of maybe am ready to get into a newer car, and this this would enable me to do that. But uh, yeah, it's a. It's, I'll call you first, okay, when I'm ready to let it go. Please, yeah, please. And that's that's what Audrain Motorsport is really targeting: is people like you that it, 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 we give you a place to go with your car. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's and a gr- enjoy it whether whether it's cars and coffee or a road tour or something, and you know it's. Makes it a little special, more special than going to the grocery store. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. That's for sure. Because these cars, you know, if you if you park them, they deteriorate. Yeah, you really. Need, yeah, you need to keep exercising cars, and these the, the the whole idea that the collector cars with low mileage are more more valuable. It really kind of I'm dumbfounded over that whole thing because uh, you get a Carrera GT with a hundred miles on it, it's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars to make it drivable well honestly when i bought mine mine's got forty-one thousand miles on it now i saw one just this morning uh be listed on social media that a 2000 mile 80s turbo and you kind of think 2000 it's just been sitting but when i bought my car it was part of a collection it'd been sitting and i just spent a, a bunch of bucks getting all those dried up oil lines you know resealed and everything but i try to drive it when the sun's out and as much as i can but uh, uh yeah it's a it's a fun ride it takes you back into time hey, i'm gonna be your car psychologist here and crawl into your skull a little bit david if you were reincarnated 
manifest as a vehicle. This isn't what you want to be. This is how you perceive your personality, the man in the mirror, as a vehicle. What would you be, but more importantly, why? I don't know why this popped in my head, but a Unimog. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Because like, the guy who's on my show today, the day we're recording, he loves to restore uh, David Mance. He loves to restore Unimogs. And now he's got a business with his son where they restore uh, Range Rovers and Defenders. But uh, you, now this is interesting, David. And this is why I asked this question. Why would David Donahue be a, the complete antithesis of a fast race car? Well, y- you know, I'm introverted. So that thing can go and hide anywhere. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I I can't tell you why, but that's what popped in my head. Well, you know, this is interesting. That's why I asked that question. I love it when people go into the kind of their personality. That's what it's designed as. So yeah, you can go off in the hills and nobody will ever find you. And they never think to follow you either. Yeah, I would need a shrink. To- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be your car shrink today, just a little bit. So let's talk about a great book before I let you go today. Is there a great book out there that you've really enjoyed? I know there's some great books about your dad and about his racing history, and uh, but is there one that stands out for you? Well, of course, there's The Unfair Advantage, which was the yeah. book my dad wrote. And the reason why well, I, I republished that um, back in 2000, and what strikes me about that book is especially when after being in the industry for a while you think that you know mark donahue and roger penske they did all these unique things and they knew what they were doing and um you know they they had the world wrapped around their the motorsport world wrapped around their fingers but when you read a book you realize that they didn't know what the outcome of what they were doing was going to be they had reason to do what they were doing but it was all uncharted territory and it it put things in perspective for me in that, you know, you, you need to keep exploring new, new things and trying new things in motorsport. But uh, I just got the Brumos book. Oh, by Sean? Yeah. Cridlin? Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife was giving me the hairy eyeball. What the heck did you order again? <laughs> yeah, because it's... There's always packages showing up on the front door. And you're like, this is heavy, so it must be expensive. <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't even gotten, had a chance to get into it. You're going to love it. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked to Sean a bunch, obviously, uh, when he was writing the book. And he was blown away by how big it became. Yeah. How much material was there and what a story was there. So I'm, I'm really keen on, on uh, diving into that. There was stuff in there that Dan Davis didn't even know. And I'm sure Hurley didn't even know. But I, I think it's wonderful that that stuff has gotten documented for history. Yeah. Sean uh, did an awesome job with that. He, In fact, I've had him on the show a few times. He came back to do a show just about that book, just when it came out. So go back and listen to it because it's fascinating. And he talks about how this thing just exploded into this multi-volume element. And it just, it had to. It just, there was so much to tell. But uh, I have a copy of your dad's book as well. I mean, awesome book. I got to sit in your dad's old car when it was at Canopus Shop one time. And I just, I just sat in there almost, I had to get out. It was like goosebumps going, how did they, how did he do this? <laughs> monster well, it's 1730 yeah yeah dangerous as hell oh it's gosh awesome. yeah I, I really yeah i know <laughs> who did these welds it looked like a you know first day tech school weld uh yeah <laughs> yeah it's pretty pretty <laughs> phenomenal for sure so uh i'm gonna let you go on the ultimate drive here i do those all my guests you, you talked about that great time you had with your wife with the porsche speedster when you were uh, uh, in the monterey peninsula area but what i do is i offer to buy you any car in the world you can take it anywhere in the world, and you can be with anybody, living or someone who's passed. So just for today, what is an ultimate drive? Because you've been on many of them, and you're about to go on one at Pikes Peak. What does it look like for you if I uh, open my big checkbook? Hmm. 
you know, I'm tempted to say I drive with my dad. Of course. Of course. Be either my dad or my wife. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, she, she's my best friend. And probably just in the 918 somewhere. Uh, that would be pretty cool. And you've driven those cars many times. I had, yeah, I had the 918 at home for a little more than a week when we were showing it around. And it was kind of funny in the garage. And my son always, come on, dad, take me out. I'm like, no, no, no. Nothing ever good comes from that. Yeah. He didn't understand that the car was worth more than the house. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) part of the uh, reason why I had it was we were going to show it at the Radnor Hunt Concours. And um, there was a road tour rally the day before the concours and they were auctioning off the passenger seat and so because i was on the road that 40 days or whatever this was in the middle of some of that i ended up throwing this huge bid in just so i can spend a day with my wife Oh, wow. <laughs> I had to buy the seat for my wife and time with her <laughs> that's pretty funny but very nice of you boy that made some husband points <laughs> i don't think she ever saw the bill Oh. No, well, that's probably best for the best. Yeah, just like when you're buying Sean Cridland's books or any other cool stuff that we buy that we try to hide when the doorbell rings. Nothing to see here, dear. <laughs> there you go. Well, you've taken us on an awesome ride today, and I, I wish you the best. You're going to have fun driving back up the mountain again. Can't wait to watch. Before I let you go, could you share maybe some words of wisdom, inspirational quote, a mantra, something that stands out for you that you could share with our listeners today? Uh that one's pretty easy, and it, it stems back, it really stems from, from Brumos and Bob Snodgrass, and he would always say, uh, whatever you do, do the right thing, and it's hard sometimes. It's um, not good and not, not easy in the short term, but in the long term, it pays off. Just always do the right thing, and you know, Dan Davis is the same way, Hurley's the same way, and yeah, it's uh, words to live by. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, for sure. Well, listeners, I'm going to put links to uh, the Pikes Peak Hill Climb website, the Audrain Motorsports website, and the Brumos Collection, which if you find your way down in Florida, you got to go see that. If you miss my talks with some of these folks I've mentioned today, they're all on the Cars Yeah podcast. And I want to do a shout out to our mutual friend, Judy Stropus, for bringing David to Cars Yeah today. Judy, thank you once again. She knows everybody, doesn't she? And everybody knows her. I, they do. Everybody who is somebody knows her. Well, then I, I feel very uh, part of a good group because uh, I've known her for a while and she brings me some of the greatest guests. So, Judy, thanks again. David, uh, have a safe, fun adventure at Pikes Peak. Can't wait to see how things go there. I know you're going to do great. Uh, thank you for sharing some time with us today and adventures and history and everything. It's been a wonderful talk. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you. I usually say down the road, in this case, up the road at the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Have fun, buddy. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Want to hear something crazy? Veterans work on billions of dollars of vehicles, planes, and engines while deployed, but they can't touch our car until they've obtained a certification and training requirements for employment back here at home. That's crazy. Dick Force Foundation Military Transition Fund provides scholarships and grants so our veterans can transition to great careers following their service for this great country. Support Tech Force, support Tech Force, a charity of choice here at Cars yeah, and its workforce development efforts for our veterans by donating at techforce.org today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!